Actor and filmmaker Ann Johnston Brown has spent the past 35 years navigating the ups and downs of Hollywood. With a master's degree in theater arts, Ann was a professor at the prestigious American Academy of Dramatic Arts in Los Angeles and is the author of several books published by Smith & Krauss, the world's largest of its kind. Her films on the subject of homelessness have won countless awards, and her voice can be heard throughout the world in a variety of television and radio commercials, as well as the audiobooks of many New York Times and USA Today best-selling authors. And now, she brings to you the best of what she's learned. Welcome to The Actor's Guide. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Actor's Guide. Well, today I have a very special guest. Uh, he is uh, uh, he's everything. He's a filmmaker, a director, an author, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, he's an acting teacher, and he is going to be giving us a lot of tips, a lot of advice uh, that I think that is going to benefit uh, you, the listener, and me. Uh, so I am very excited about bringing on Jamie Paulinetti. Uh, he is uh, on the phone right now with me. How you doing, Jamie? I'm great, Ann. Thank you. Before we get into some of the, the actual tips and advice, I want to know how, how you got started in, in the industry. What, what, what's your story? Yeah, it is, it's, uh, I think it's an unusual path. <laughs> I've, had, I've had really two lives that have intersected and really remained overlapping both in my kind of philosophical approach to each of them and the worlds that I've worked in. And yeah. when I came out of college, the very first job I got, this is a, almost like a detour, the very first job I got, I was an LA County Sheriff's deputy. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was just a freak thing in the it wasn't a freak thing. That is what I was going to do. It's what I meant to do. I studied uh, social ecology and sociology and criminal justice wow. in college at UC Irvine. That was my undergrad. And, you know, I was going to go to work for the government and they wanted me to work um, in law enforcement first. And so fast forward a bit and I was racing my bicycle then. Uh, as in the Tour de France, that well, kind okay, of thing. Okay, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, we've got to touch on on your your, your cycling. Yes. Yeah. And if you're, you know, I'm, I guess I'm going to kind of age myself now, but <laughs> this was 1986. Oh, boy. And so at that time, there was no professional cycling in America. A lot of people don't know that, but there literally was no sanctioned professional cycling in America. It just mm -hmm. didn't exist. We had had the 1984 Olympics, and the United States did unbelievably well in cycling in the 1984 Olympics, yeah. won a bunch of gold medals. And that kind of spurred the sport in our country. And I was part of that kind of dynasty that got pro cycling going in the United States. Wow. And so I left the sheriff's department um, to sign a professional cycling contract at the end of 1988. Mm. And so it was like a freak thing, as I mentioned earlier, I misspoke, but it was a freak thing how I got into the sport just through a friend. It's, it's really not that interesting. So we're going to leave that out. <laughs> okay. But um, yeah, I ended up being a professional cyclist uh, for until 1995. Wow. And so that was what I like to say was my first life. Okay. <clears throat> so here's, here's where some of the overlap comes in. I had always been able to write, not, not ride like on a bike, but write. <laughs> right. And uh, I was writing a bunch of 
in the pack perspective stories for various magazines and, you know, for the year younger audience, I'm going to have to explain a little bit. So, you know, we didn't have this thing. (laughs) No, we didn't. (laughs) Late 80s, early 90s. So if you wanted to write, you had to get published. That's right. Yeah. And so um, that's how I really started as a professional writer. Yeah. While I was a writer, I was writing (laughs) stories. And then at that time in the early 90s, I'll keep this short and wrap this part up. um, Cycling got huge and it was on television. Yeah. All the time on major networks, NBC, ABC, ESPN, uh, Fox Sports, like all, all the big ones. And I started helping produce some of the shows as I was still riding my bike. Okay. And so that, that gave me exposure to the entertainment industry uh, in a kind of ancillary way. Mm-hmm. So here's where the next overlap comes. If I back up just a touch, in 1990... I met a woman. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, I always say that should be the first line of a novel. If I ever write a novel, that's going to be, in 1990, I met a woman. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So anyway, um, and she was finishing her master's degree in screenwriting at UCLA. And she had gotten her undergraduate degree uh, at Columbia as an English literature major and then was, you know, finishing up at UCLA. And I met her in 1990 when I was a pro cyclist. And, you know, we ended up being married later. But what she did is she transitioned me from writing stories to writing screenplays and working in the entertainment industry and learning about the genre. And Mm -hmm. I had always been a film buff and just loved film, you know, as a fan. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was my liaison to the entertainment industry. And that was 1990. And then did you, did you stop writing, uh, writing uh, when you started writing? Yeah, no. So that's why it's so unusual. And you almost have to keep the chronology straight. We need a kind of calendar. Yeah. Because there, there was an overlap. And I didn't retire from pro cycling until 1995. No. But uh, as early as um, the early 90s, I was working with television broadcasting. And then she did her master's thesis film as a short documentary on cycling and and I was kind of the subject and my teammates were the subject. And so now I had direct access to doing the entire film process, you know, as not only one of the subjects, but as the director's fiance. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and so did you, uh, when you decided what, you know, this seems like you said, this is a real process. I mean, you, you just kind of, uh, it just, the, the, the path of your life brought you into this. Was there any training you were getting in, in, in writing and, and, and all the other, uh, in this process? Yeah, so at that point, um, I, I hadn't gone to any formal training in right. terms of film school. I would do that later. Okay. But as you know, you know, when your spouse is uh, deeply into something, mm-hmm. you tend to get uh, a lot of exposure yes. to the world. You get and, immersed, you know, totally exactly. immersed. Mm-hmm. And I was reading everything she wrote, you know, at that time coming right. out of UCLA master screenwriting program. She's trying to get an agent. She's trying to get her films made, oh. and she's writing screenplays. And I'm correcting them all, and we're discussing them, <laughs> talking about structure. I'm giving her notes, and both creative notes and structural notes. And you know, I I remember she had me read uh, Sid Field's book, the original one. I, oh, I can't yes. remember the title, The Bible of Screenwriting, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that was my first, I'll say, instruction in 
screenwriting right. was reading his book and then reading all of her. I think she wrote five screenplays before she got an agent. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's, as you know, that's not that unusual. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, that was quick. So that was, yeah. yeah. That was my first uh, education in, in the actual film industry. And then she ended up a couple, she had a couple jobs as writer's assistants and things. And then she ended up um, doing a pilot, which mm-hmm. uh, with a guy named Lon Diamond, Lon Diamond, who did Parker Lewis Can't Lose, that mm-hmm. great oh, old yeah. show. Sure. Yeah. And so she's working with Lon, and they did a pilot, and then I was, you know, involved in that process um, as well. And this is still while I'm racing as a professional all over the world. Mm. And uh, but again, because she's my fiance, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm in on the process. So that was that was my kind of ramping up to right. any formal uh, training. And then when I retired from pro cycling, I got a job as editor of Bicycle Guide magazine, mm-hmm. which was owned by Peterson Publishing up on Wilshire. And of course, at the time they were, I think, the biggest publisher of magazines wow. in the country. So it was a, it was a, it was a big, big switch. You know, well, so, now you um, you you got into commercial production, though, uh, you know, here here you were, you know, dabbling in screenwriting. You, you're now editing a magazine. Where in your process did you get into the commercial production? It was right after that. So we're at that. We're hmm, at that point. Okay. Now, this, is, this is 1995 and 96. I went back to film school at UCLA. Okay. And I started, you know, studying film and theater, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I ended up only staying at the magazine for exactly one year. We did 12 issues. Mm. And these were, you know, it was it was thrown into the fire because they were (laughs) monthly issues, 100 and some page color. And, you know, it was it was a big, big job. And but but really good for me uh, to, to be saddled with that kind of workload. So, but right after that, I left the magazine and started producing commercials and writing and directing commercials. And the way I did that was I got hired by, at the time it was called Media One. It became AT&T, which was the local Southern California cable network. Mm -hmm. And which you probably, I I think you were in LA then, weren't you? I was, yes, in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. so you remember, you know, um, now you have this huge boom of cable television with all of these commercials right. that are being directed and produced and, and just like by the hundreds because there's so many networks now right. and the local cable stations own some of the airtime. And so they put together these um, sales teams to go out and sell the ads. And then they worked with us on the production side. And I, I would do everything from a commercial for a mom and pop flower store to a little bit later, Southern California, Lincoln Mercury dealers Mm. or Chevrolet or, you know, um, everything in between. So, uh, it was a, it was a great opportunity. Um, were you directing, were you doing everything? Were you casting and directing? I mean, uh, what was your, uh, you had every role or did you have other people working with you? So, you know, again, we're owned by Media One at right. the time, uh, but AT&T, we'll just say, because people know that name. Yeah. And we had a production office with a couple editors, um, but I was titled as a 
producer. And as you know, that's the most overused word in Hollywood. <laughs> and so as a producer, I'm writing the content. I'm meeting sure. with the owners of the businesses. I'm also meeting with the agencies if they have an agency. And some of them big, like Chaya Day, Falcon, M80, like huge, huge agencies. Uh-huh. You know, um, And then also directing the commercials. And then usually not editing. Usually, yeah. although I could edit at the time, I had editors, but we were so busy. So, um, yeah, I would do the whole soup to nuts. Wow. And, uh, you know, and, and again, the here's why it was so valuable. Because of the variety of client and budget, mm-hmm. you know, we, we'd do a commercial for five or $10,000, and then I'd do one for a quarter million. And wow. it's just a completely different workflow. Well, how and, long did you do this? How long were you in the commercial industry? Because I know you went into filmmaking, and uh, cool. so was yeah. did 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 was this a transitional thing, or did you one day get up and say, "I'm done with commercials"? No, what happened is in 2000, the Screen Actors Guild told me I was done with commercials. <laughs> okay, which well, I'm sure you remember. <laughs> I do, I do. They they told us no more. Yep. And for your listeners, what happened? Yep. Uh, they had a huge strike. Yeah. And uh, they were literally blackballing people. That's right. Um, if you did not adhere to their rules and you could not shoot commercials right. in Los Angeles, it just yeah. was not going to happen. And and I believe you may remember this, and but I believe that started in 2000, right? In the middle of the year? Well, I... Really? I don't know. I thought it... It feels like it was earlier. I don't know. There was one earlier. Yeah. There was a big one. So, so again, yeah. I'm, I'm getting up there now, and some of my memory dates and times <laughs> get overlapped. But I'll, I'll put it this way. We were basically out of business, and I had kept my hands in bicycle racing mm-hmm. and uh, had been racing locally and regionally on the weekends, you know, for fun. But mm-hmm. I had been a world-class professional, and so it wasn't hard for me to stay in shape and continued to race. And at that time, Southern California was a hotbed for pro cycling. And so the racing level was very, very high. And, and this come this becomes important for this reason. When the commercial actors went on strike, mm-hmm. uh, I had written a treatment for a feature film documentary called The Hard Road hmm. um, in 1996 or seven in film school. And I tried to get the film made and we couldn't get it done. And so when 2000 rolled around or whenever the actors went on strike and I, I could not work anymore, I just started racing all the time just to, you know, to really just to have something that I love to do and my other passion. And I was on uh, and running a very, very good amateur team mm-hmm. uh, of cyclists. Yeah. And so we took this treatment that I had and we brought it to our sponsor at the time, that sponsor's name was Net Zero, and they were an internet startup. Yes, kind of. I remember yeah. it very well. Yeah. Okay, great. So they were sponsoring our cycling team. I think they called we went, themselves Net Zero because they weren't charging anything at first. Wasn't that the the, the reasoning for the, the name? That is absolutely correct. It was free. And I yeah, loved it because it was free. <laughs> Yeah, everyone did, uh, and uh, that didn't work out for them. No, but, it didn't. It did because they raised it to like nine ninety nine a month or something. Yeah, 
They panic. People panic. $9.99 a month. I refuse to pay it. I know. I know. Anyway, so to finish up this part of the story, um, Net Zero, our team had done so well, and we were going into the 2001 season, Uh and the seasons begin in January, the bicycle racing seasons. And I said to them, look, I have this treatment. I said, I can put a team together because of my past, because of who I was in the past, and because of where I you know, am in the sport in this country. I can put a very good professional team together and I want to shoot this movie around it. And they just said, you know, go. And we got the green light. And that's how I transitioned from commercials to feature film. And that was, it was a feature documentary, but, and I think this is really important and it may come up later. I do mention in the book though. Um, I wrote a script for that feature documentary film. Mm-hmm. I did not have an idea and go out with camera crews and just shoot and shoot and shoot and then hope to have a movie when I'm done. And, um, you know, that tends to be arduous and really difficult. Mm-hmm. Instead, based on what I thought was going to happen during the season, I'll tell you about the movie in a minute, I shot and scripted around that. And then, of course, you have to do a little improvisation. And, you you know, you do end up in the edit room with really high shooting ratios and all of that. But, you know, the the film was scripted. I had a choice of where to send my camera crews. We did well over 100 races that year. I can't shoot 100 races. (laughs) And so, you know, we picked the races where I thought they would give us interesting storylines and story elements that would make for a good film. And the theme... The theme of that movie, The Hard Road, is to sacrifice everything to pursue a dream. Oh, wow. And so it was a universal theme. Yeah. And um, we followed this first year professional cycling team because we turned, we registered the team professional. Mm-hmm. And then we followed it through an entire season. And every single rider on the team, with the exception of myself and one other guy, they were all rookies. Oh. And so you have this kind of transitional thing for them where they've all been cycling their whole lives they've they have up to that point sacrificed everything to get their first pro contract and now they're just thrown into the fire and let's see if they can make it you know it's like the triple a ball player that gets called up to the big leagues in the playoffs it's like are you sure you want this right right well now you know how did how did the film i mean once the film was made how did it go over? I mean, what, where, where, where was it? Uh, where was it uh, shown? And and yeah, so I'll screened. tell you a secret. I'll tell you a secret. I'm, mm-hmm. gonna, I'm only going to tell your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Just those movie, three. To mm-hmm. date, that movie has been the most successful internationally and financially thing that I've ever done. Really? Mm-hmm. And I'll wow. tell you why. I'll tell you why, and this is why I made the movie, because, you know, as I mentioned, in the early 90s, I had raced all over the world, and I knew the popularity of the sport. And I also knew from being a player in the sport, the fascination with American cyclists all Mm -hmm. over the world. Now, you know, at that point, Lance Armstrong had already come along, and so, you know, he helped elevate the sport in America. Mm -hmm. But I knew there was a market for it because it was a story that had never been told. And if you go any to any major developed country and even most of the third world countries Mm -hmm. in the world, there are two sports and two sports only. Right. Soccer and cycling. <laughs> okay, that makes and sense. It. And they call it football, I think, in other countries. And then cycling, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the movie played 
I did a I did a screen I did a screening tour in film festivals and private screenings. I I bet and I did seventy five of them wow. all over the world. And did two, and, and you were doing these in person. You were actually taking the films around. You didn't get a distributor at that time, right? So here's how that happened. That's why I told the early part of the story. So if you remember, I was editor of the largest cycling magazine in the country at that point. I had been a, quote, celebrity in the sport. And so I had contacts in the television world, in the publication world. And again, this is still the infancy of the Internet. It's 2001. Right. And so all of my contacts uh, in the sport of cycling, in the publicity area, were the ones that marketed my movie and Mm -hmm. we didn't spend a penny i didn't spend one penny to market the film and it was everywhere played in 70 countries i mean it was just everywhere that is uh, amazing oh my gosh i'm sure a lot of people hearing this right now because i've got a lot of people that are that are screenwriters and producers that listen to the show that's going to make them sick (laughs) yeah i mean those days are gone unfortunately you know Um, but yeah we I because I was a quote famous professional yeah. cyclist, uh-huh. you know, turned filmmaker, and because what I left out is that year of two thousand one, the team I ran, sponsored by Net Zero, it was called the Net Zero Cycling Team, yeah. and that we shot the film around, mm-hmm. just had a fantastic season. For oh. a first year pro team, we won like sixty races. Wow. The team was just incredible. We were giant slayers. And um, it was just, you know, I've had some, I've, I've had some hand of the gods moments in my life, and and that was that was one of them. Well, let's let's talk about another movie that you did more recently, which is called Trickster. I I want right. I want to hear. I I know there's a lot between that movie and this movie, but right. give me kind of like the 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 walk up to that. But also right. let's talk about it. And I want everyone, and we're gonna link uh, the movie. Anything you know you've done, we're gonna link to this podcast. But okay. tell tell me a little bit about that movie. Okay, so yeah, they can look that movie up on trickstertheMovie.com. That's the best place, but it is on a hundred and some platforms now. You know, you can find it. But wow. there's been a there's been a series done called Trickster now since then that I didn't do. Those people that did that, you know, they knew about the film and it's loosely based on, but it's it's different. Mm-hmm. So if you want to see the, the film, TricksterTheMovie.com is where it is. Okay. And yeah, so that's a, a really interesting story too. So. You know, what we've left out here is that if I back up, and that's what I mean by all these overlapping <laughs> kind of worlds. Sure. If we back up, um, when I was at UCLA, I met a woman named Lorraine Vozoff that was teaching the Stanislavski method mm. there. And uh, that was in 96, I think. Yeah. And so I immediately started studying the method mm-hmm. and started going to theater and taking classes and studying theater and then Lorraine and uh, another gentleman named Tom Simmons who's a, a very well-known professional actor uh, and I we started a little theater in LA called Theater Group Studio mm-hmm. and that was on Robertson above the 10. Oh yeah. And that was in the mid to late 90s I actually cannot remember the year so now we're overlapping into these other things that mm. I talked about like commercial production right. the hard road like all this is happening at the same time and we opened a new theater and we're doing theater literally like every night 
You know, wow, what a busy guy you were. Oh, my gosh. Oh, incredible. Yeah, and <laughs> my my now ex-wife will <laughs> tell you that, you know, between that and what she was doing, which was working in the industry, it was just, it was crazy. Yeah. It was a crazy, crazy time. But it so was anyway. great. I mean, I'm sorry. When you tell stories like this, I just get excited because I, I, I don't know, okay. those of us who are who are obsessed with uh, with the this industry like you know just just they staying productive that way it's just it's just food it's it's it it's is. our nourishment you know it is yeah so i I'm, i got to that point because trickster the movie came out of my theater the outwater playhouse okay and i opened the outwater playhouse in 2005 uh-huh. and uh, it's in los angeles uh outwater village a lot of people don't know where that is i'm sure you do but oh, yeah. a lot of people don't yeah um and it's right in the heart of la in between silver lake los Feliz, not far from north hollywood mm-hmm. you know anyway so i opened that water playhouse in 2005 and Fast forward to 2018, 2017, I had had a full career in film and TV and and uh, theater, of course. I probably wrote and directed 60 or 70 plays. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't even know. There's just no way to know how many. Um, I, I lost track. But, uh, but the point is, I had a very, very strong, very powerful theater company. Mm. And um, that's, you know, not only actors, producers, directors – you know, my network of people in the industry that I had um, been with over the years was strong. Like we'd never been stronger than probably 2017. And the making of Trickster and the only reason I was able to get it made was because it came out of my theater company. Right. And that that's more um, of a production discussion. But I wrote the film in a very short period of time. All of the roles, except for three of them, I actually wrote for the actors that are in the movie. Wow. And so it's one of my favorite things to do is to write for actors once I've worked with them for a long time. Sure, sure. And I think, uh, now, was John Henry, John F. Henry, uh, was he in that? He was. He played Mosley, um, the bartender, the the kind of bartender who lost his faith. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, so John was. John had been a member of my theater company. I don't and, know. And our and our listeners. Uh, well, first of all, John was on the show, and uh, and and of course, I've worked with John personally as well uh, mm-hmm. in my movies. And and uh, well, actually, no, he was. Yeah, he was in my movies and and in my theater uh, production. But mm-hmm. uh, the audience will remember, and he talked about this theater and he talked about you he gave you a lot of credit for uh, for just just and we are going to discuss your book and and he certainly is uh, a fan of 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 your technique and 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 the and the fact that you draw it all from stanislavski's method um so tell me really quick though uh and we're going to link trickster uh everything to the podcast Uh let me know uh how many you told us you've, you've done 60 some odd plays You've you've written mm-hmm. and produced. How many movies have you have you written and produced? So, um, if you're talking production to the point of distribution, after the Hard Road, I did another feature called Pro, and then um, I did this feature film called Trickster. I did another short one, um, a short film that you know got got distribution on a lot of different platforms that was called slipping but then i also did episodic series called the complex one called angels in paradise Mm. another one called red pill wonderland 
Um, you know, so I've, I've done, I don't know how many that is, you know, quite a few either episodic or, or films. And Mm -hmm. at this point, you know, they're similar, but different. Um, and you know, so I'm not, I I don't know, six or seven, I guess, or seven or eight, but then I also worked, I left this out, but my ex-wife, um, ended up getting hired on a television show called Pacific Blue, Mm -hmm. which you may remember. It was like Baywatch on bikes shot in Venice in the 90s. And uh, I worked on that show as well with her. Um, And so as a technical consultant, second unit uh, advisor and that kind of thing. So uh, I wrote a number of episodes of television. And again, that's a kind of another part of the story, but, but again, all all this overlaps, right? Right. right. Kind of overlaps. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, many, I guess, yeah, is the answer. Right, right. <laughs> what is, g- give us just a, a little a little preview of, of what your advice is for uh, actors and, and how they should prepare themselves and, and their craft before we okay. actually get into the book, because uh, that, that is going to be different. Okay. Yeah, because that is really what, that's the reason I wrote the book. Sure. And so um, I guess to put some context to it, we, when I opened the theater in 2005, I opened it as a true nonprofit. We've mm-hmm. never, I'm very proud to say we've never ever had any employees that are paid and we've never lived on donations. Wow. And so um, what we did is we opened a space as a creative workspace in order to give anyone in Hollywood an artistic outlet, you know, where they found they weren't being satisfied in the industry Mm -hmm. and of course we did you know actual productions and we had a playwriting festival for five years and we put on a number of those plays and we did all of that but the reason i mention that is because within that we i taught classes and all the various aspects of filmmaking but the real focus was on the theater company and the approach that actors would use, uh, you know, in order to one, get hired to have a career three, have artistic satisfaction. Right. And so, uh, as we ebbed and flowed through the various years and changes that our industry has seen that, you know, very well, mm-hmm. uh, I've adapted all of that, um, you know, in the classes, And that was part one of my interview with Jamie Palanetti, who is the author of the book Acting as an Art Form, and he is uh, only just beginning to give us some great advice on how to make the most of our acting careers, whether it be just uh, performing the role or the audition uh, everything uh, in between. So you're not going to want to miss part two next Monday on Masterclass Monday. Thanks for joining us, guys. This has been The Actor's Guide. Tag, you're it. This has been The Actor's Guide. For more information about Ann Johnston Brown or to join the tag team, please visit our website at ajbprods.com slash podcast. 